So Jesus, ask that you would help us know how we can apply those scriptures to our lives. What do you have to say to us today? Use these next few moments, the words I'll speak, the thoughts of our hearts, uh, to help us hear from you. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, great to see all of you, you brave people who got out through Snowmageddon and got here, so... Thank you for being here. Um, I, I heard a story on the radio this week about a man named Jerry who is in his late 20s. And when he was eight, Jerry's parents got divorced and he lived with his mom. But then a couple years later, his mother died. So he had to go back and live with his dad. Well, in his teens, Jerry got in a lot of trouble with the law. He uh, got into drugs. Eventually, Jerry was even homeless for a while. In his own words, Jerry said, I was one angry little dude. Well, in the middle of this, along the way, Jerry's dad one day just happened to tell Jerry that he wasn't actually his biological father. So that kind of sent Jerry off on a search to discover, you know, who his birth father really was. That eventually led him to find the name of a company that his mom used to work for. And he noticed that the founder of that company was named Alfred. And that caught Jerry's attention because Jerry's middle name was Alfred. And he'd always wondered why his mom had given him that name because he hated that name. Because he said, you know what, the only Alfred I knew was the butler in Batman, and I just didn't like that. Right? So, so Al, he, he had discovered that Alfred Sr. had died, but Jerry found his lawyer, so you know where this is going, right? As soon as they met, the lawyer said to Jerry, holy cow, you look just like him. One DNA test later, Jerry had proven that he was Alfred's son, and he had inherited a whole bunch of money because of it. So he went from homeless to wealthy almost overnight. But here's the interesting part. He took a big chunk of the money that he got and put it in a foundation that helps homeless people. More than that, Jerry said that, that he started to behave differently. He wasn't as angry anymore. He, he started to care for other people. He said the biggest emotional thrill in the whole story was not that he got the money. It was the day he got the DNA test back and he discovered that he was Alfred's son. And somehow, knowing that he was the son of this entrepreneur changed his behavior. He just started to act differently because he had this new sense of identity. Well, I heard that on the radio this week when I was really struggling for a sermon illustration for this sermon. And so I was like, yes, God can work even through NPR. It's a miracle, right? Because it is a great example of how who we think we are determines a lot about how we behave what kinds of things we fear, what risks we're willing to take and not take. A lot of that is determined by who we think we are or the labels or the names that other people have given us through life. Which is why the scriptures that we just read, I think, are such good news because in it, it says that Jesus can give us new names so that fearful people can become courageous, guilt-ridden people can become forgiven, worried people can feel peace so that, as the text says, we become new creations. Because you see, we get all kinds of names from all kinds of people in all kinds of places, and those names are significant. A woman said to me this week, she said, you know, I almost bought a dog a couple of days ago, but I just couldn't because of its name. So I said, well, what was its name? And she said, Dudley. And I just couldn't have a dog with the same name as my pastor, right? which I kind of appreciated. Although I think some people would really love being able to tell their pastor to sit, right, or speak, or in pastor's cases, stop speaking, right? The names, the labels we get, they're significant. They matter. And our parents give us names. Some of them good names like beloved child. Others of them not so good like not worth my time or never good enough. Our peers give us names, you know, great guy, fun to be with, or fat, ugly, dumb, whatever it is. We give ourselves names, loser, winner, great guy, self-made man, right, jerk, whatever it is. 
And those names control our lives because we begin to live as if they were true. I know many people who are afraid in conversation. They just feel nervous in any kind of conversation because along the way they acquired the label stupid. And so they just feel self-conscious every time they open their mouth. But I don't think it's just the negative names that can control our behavior. I think sometimes even the seemingly positive names we get can be just as destructive. For instance, if you get labeled successful, you know, that can start to drive a lot of success addiction and you feel the need to achieve more and more and more, not out of a passion for what you're doing, but out of this anxiety to, to, to win approval from other people. If we get, get labeled attractive, that can be destructive too because every birthday becomes scary because we're just that much less attractive according to our culture. I know one man whose father labeled him tough guy and he, he really took that to heart and he grew up and he became kind of a bully. And it was affecting his relationships at work, his friendships, all kinds of stuff because his identity was in being feared. And I remember I said to him once, you know, wouldn't you rather be loved than feared? And he said, no, I want people to fear how much they love me. Like, wow, our names control us. But the good news is Jesus can give us new names. And whereas everyone else misnames us, Jesus names us accurately. Someone was telling me that their neighbor's last name is Simkin, but that people always insist on calling him Simkins, adding that final S. So whenever he introduces himself, he always says, you know, Simkin with one S. Well, one day he was giving some information to a clerk and she was filling out the form and she wrote down Simkins. And so he said, no, no, it's just one S. So she crossed it out and wrote Impkins. <laughs> All kinds of people will mislabel us, misname us, but Jesus names us aright. And you see this throughout Scripture. God took a childless man named Abram, renamed him Abraham, which means father of a nation, and he became the founder of Israel. God did the same thing for his wife, named her Sarah, which means exalted princess. He took a woman who had named herself Mara, which means bitter and depressed and angry. I mean, imagine giving yourself that name. Call me bitter, you know, because that's what I want to be called, right? And God insisted on calling her Naomi, which means pleasant, and that's what she became. He took a wishy-washy man named Simon and renamed him Peter, which means the rock or rocky, and he became an apostle. God is in the business of making us new creations by giving us new names. That's what's going on in the passage we read out of Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I appointed you to be prophet to the nations. In other words, Jeremiah, this is who you are. This is your original design. This is who I created you to be. This is what I have put inside of you. Prophet to the nations. I am defining you. And so Jeremiah says, this is awesome. I love this name. I'm going to go right at it, God. Let's go. Let's go, right? That's what, no. He says, oh Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. So those are his names for himself. Bad speaker, too young. So God says, don't say that I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. So in place of the names too young and I'm afraid, God gives Jeremiah the name sent by God. In place of the name bad speaker, God gives Jeremiah the name prophet to the nations. And that propels Jeremiah through the rest of his life. So let me ask you this question. Just who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And how is that different and who God says that you are. Because you see, if deep inside you think you're destined to fail or you're not smart enough or whatever it is, you will shrink back from taking risks in business, risks in life, miss all the adventure God has for you because you're afraid of failure. 
But if you know that in Romans, God says that we are heirs, heirs, with Christ, heirs, with, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, or in Philippians where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you take those promises, you take those names to heart, and suddenly you're willing to take all kinds of risks, go on all kinds of adventures, because you know you have this different image of yourself. And even if you fail, you'll be like Thomas Edison, who, as I've told you before, it took him a thousand tries to make a light bulb. And when he was asked, didn't you feel like a failure all those times? He said, no, I found 999 ways not to make a light bulb. Because he had this image of himself, not as failure, but as inventor. So it made all those, quote, failures different in his mind. Same thing if you feel burdened and guilty about your past. Listen to who God says you are in the passage we read today. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The text points to a kind of identity theft where Jesus exchanges identities with us. On the cross, he takes on all our junk, all our sin, all our guilt, all our shame, and then he puts his righteousness on us so that when God sees us, he he doesn't see all the ways we've messed up. Your name from God is not you miserable sinner schmuck, you. That is not your first, middle, and last name from God. Your name from God is the righteousness of Christ. We don't get that enough. I mean, I think we're raised in the church to think I'm a miserable sinner. No, 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 no. If you know Jesus, your name is the righteousness of Christ. Not that we don't sin, of course we do. But in Christ, we've been made new. I know a man who became a pastor of a small church when he was 27, and most of the church really embraced him, but there was this small faction of older people who thought that he was too young. One man in particular kept saying to him, you know, I have grandkids older than you. You don't have a thing to teach me about anything, right? And this was discouraging because to this young guy. It made him timid in his leadership. Until one day, this older man was just hammered at him. You know, you're too young, you're too young. And suddenly this pastor just said, you know, sir, you are right, and I am young, and I, I have a lot to learn, and I think you could teach me a lot. But then he held up a Bible, and he said, but sir, when I speak accurately from this, I am 2,000 years old. Well, he didn't know where that came from, so he figured it must be the Holy Spirit, right? Giving him a new name, from too young to voice of God. And it gave him more confidence And with his new confidence, the older people started to follow him more. The new name made all the difference. When you hear your names, because there's never just one, your names from God, the ones he has tailor designed for you, it changes everything. Now, you know, some of you might ask, well, what if God gives me a name that I don't like? Or what if it's not a very culturally cool name? You know, like what if God's name for me is maker of macrame? Or, you know, fox who runs with rabbits or something like that, right? No, no, no. Here's the thing. If it comes from God, it's going to resonate deep inside you. It will, be the, it will speak to your original design, the, the way that God has made you, and it will resonate inside of you. And they don't all have to be culturally cool names, you know, like he who stomps on many business competitors or something like that, right? I mean, I know so many people who simply hearing the name beloved of God heals years of pain from rejection from parents or peers, Okay, so how do we then find what our name is or our names are? How do we figure out what those things are from God? Well, let me start by giving some general biblical principles and then I'll land the plane with some practical steps that you can take this week. Okay, for the general principles, I want to just walk through one verse in the text we read. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So let me take that one phrase at a time. First phrase, if anyone... 
This is actually the most important phrase in the whole book, in the whole verse. It's so important I actually went and I looked it up in the Greek and it's interesting. The Greek word for anyone means anyone. It's not for nothing that I went to seminary. I learned how to do that, right? Anyone, right? Not if important people are in Christ, not if good people are in Christ, not if certain people, no, if anyone. Part of living into our new name is accepting it. So if you're one of those people who hears God's promises and thinks, yeah, but you know, you don't know my past and you don't know my track record of failure and I'm too blah, blah, blah. Right now, put that thought to death. If anyone is in Christ, second phrase, in Christ. Okay, now we could go on an hour. That means a whole lot of things. But one of the things I think it means is there's something supernatural about being given a new identity, becoming new creations. We can't do this on our own. We can't just make ourselves new creations, right? Definition of creation is we're created. We need to be in Christ, in relationship with Jesus through prayer and scripture, worship. There's a man in California I know who was in counseling for some serious uh, uh, issues with insecurity that's crippling him in his business, crippling him in, in relationships. And one day he was talking to his counselors about a memory he had of being six years old on the playground, and some other boys came up, pulled his pants down, and started laughing at him. You know, stuff that happens on playgrounds. It was this memory of shame. So the counselor said, okay, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to go back to that scene in your mind, and I want, but I want you to picture Jesus there. And ask Jesus to guide your imagination through that scene and see what happens. Well, for a long time, nothing happened. But finally, the guy started to smile, and he said, oh, this is great. Jesus is there, and he's got his arm around me, and he's turning me around to face all these people, and he's, why? He's showing me off. He's proud of me. And the scene shifted in his mind, and where he had before that scene gave him the name Shameful, his name became the Pride of Christ. And it was a breakthrough moment in his therapy. But Jesus did it in Christ. To get a new name, we need to be hearing from him. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. And what I think that means is when those old labels pop up, you know, stupid, failure, whatever it is, we got to put them to death. We got to take that thought captive. We got to say that is a lie. It is not true. It is a damned lie. And it's, an, it's, 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 not, it's not who I am. Right? Plus, I think the old is gone. I think what that means is we have to stop trying to go back to our past and fix it which sometimes we do, right? If only I could get my dad to say I'm a success. If only my childhood peers would take back what they said, right? Not going to happen. There's a counselor who goes to this church who says to her, her clients, in order to step into your future, you have to let go of the hope of having a better past. That is very wise. Let go of the hope of having a better past. It ain't going to happen, but you can have a new future. The old is gone, so let it go. And then finally, the new is come which means that we have to step into it. By that I mean God gives us opportunities to actually act on our new name as though it were true, and we have to take them. God gave Jeremiah a mission to go be a prophet, and in the context of that mission, Jeremiah discovers his new name. For years, I was told and I believed about myself that there was no way I could lead anything. But God kept giving me opportunities to lead. If I'd never taken those, I never would have discovered that I could do it. Step into your new identity. Maybe that means somehow being part of God's rescue mission 
to care for the poor, care for someone who is, who, is, who is hurting. Maybe it means going to our inner healing prayer ministry to finally feel God's forgiveness in your life so that you can shake off feelings of guilt and shame. Whatever it is, begin to act as if God's promises, God's name for you is true. Okay, those are some general principles. Let me give you some practical steps to take. Practical ways to step into our new identity. Number one, obviously, pray and listen. Like the story I just told you about the man in counseling who asked Jesus to guide his imagination. We have to pray and listen for what that new name can be. Second, get others to pray for us and tell us what they think God's names for us are. Now you have to be careful on this one because sometimes what, you know, some, sometimes it's what's messed us up is what other people have labeled us. But the right people, they can hear things maybe in prayer that we can't. Third, Scripture. All throughout Scripture, God tells us who we are. And a great way to do this, I've told you this before, is simply wherever you can put your name in a verse, put your name in that verse and claim the promise for yourself. So for instance, in my case, for, uh, for Scott can do all things through Christ who strengthens Scott. Something like that. And in the bulletin, I've listed uh, I've sh- uh, scriptures that show us who God says that we are. Prayer, others, scripture, finally, the Wizard of Oz. Okay, what do I mean? Yeah, huh? What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that, okay? You know how, you've all seen The Wizard of Oz, right? You know how in The Wizard of Oz, the scarecrow wants a brain, right? But who's the one who's always coming up with the plan and saying the wise thing, right? Scarecrow. The tin man wants a heart, right? Because he doesn't feel anything. But who's the one that's always crying? Who's the one that's really emotional? It's the tin man, right? See, sometimes God's name for us is latent inside of us. We just can't see it. And it's often the opposite of who we think we are. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine named Steve Hayner, who's president of Columbia Seminary, he tells a story of going to Rwanda and meeting a woman there named Aurora. And she saw 53 members of her family killed in front of her eyes during the genocide. And then she was raped multiple, multiple times and attacked with a machete. She managed to escape to Burundi where she healed and then she came back, she says, with two things I didn't have before. Pregnant by one of my assailants and HIV positive. She's dirt poor, works 12 hours a day just to barely eat and her daughter, feed her and her daughter, just miserable. So Steve said, well, how do you survive something like this? And she got a big smile on her face and she said, oh, that's the easy part. What? She got up, got a medical bag filled with creams, bandages, stuff like that, started to unpack it. She said, World Vision, that's a Christian relief organization, she said, they gave me this. And when I get home from work, I take my bag and I go care for HIV positive patients who are dying. And with this big smile on her face, she says, I've got four people that I get to take care of. Get to take care of. It's, it's this huge joy in her life. So here's a woman who could have had a lot of names. Victim, wounded, outcast, unloved. But God gave her new names. Healer, mother, daughter of God. And she is acting as if those names are true. And the old is receding and she is becoming a new creation. And it's kind of not what you would expect. It's kind of the opposite of what you would think, right? You would think the last person to be called joyful healer would be someone who'd been hurt so badly. And yet that's who she is in Christ. Now, sometimes when I hear a story like that, I'm tempted to just blow it off. You know, it's like, oh man, you know, so over the top, I can't relate, genocide, poverty, that sort of thing. But that is a really good way to shrug off what God can teach us through our brothers and sisters in Christ in the developing world, which is this. If God can do that under such dire circumstances, well, then what can he do in your life and in mine, right? So, 
Just who do you think you are? What labels have you been given or given yourself? Will you listen in prayer and will you listen in scripture for who God says you are? And then will you begin to act as if those names that God gives you are true? Because they are. Someone sent me a ridiculous YouTube clip of a walrus dancing the tango. Completely absurd. But I promise I will relate it to this sermon. Take a look. What does that have to do with anything, right? Well, here it is. You know, a walrus is about the most clumsy animal you can think of, right? Like the last animal you would think be able to dance the tango is a walrus. But here's the thing. Nobody seems to have gotten that memo to the walrus, right? Nobody seems to have said to the walrus, you're fat. You have flippers instead of feet. You can't do this, right? No. Instead, the trainer essentially told the walrus who it could be, tango meister, right? Are you picking up what I'm laying down, right? I mean, where do you feel like a wall? I mean, you know, some of you right now are probably thinking the Beatles song, right? Cuckoo, cuckoo, right? But where do you feel, where have you mislabeled yourself? Have you been labeled by yourself or by others failure or loser? Not true. According to Jesus, you are a conqueror and co-heir in Christ. Is your past haunting you and, and saying that you can't be forgiven? Not true. You are a child of God redeemed in Jesus. You are his son. You are his daughter in whom he is well pleased. Do you think of yourself as fearful, timid, shy? No, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. According to Jesus, you, that's right, little old you, you are the salt of the world. You are the light to the nations, a citizen of heaven, child of God, friend of Christ, holy and dearly beloved, heir of salvation, the purchase of God, washed in his spirit, cleansed in his blood, a living temple, bringer of light, inheritor of the riches of Christ. You are who he says you are. You can do what he says you can do, conquer what he says you can conquer, and you will be who he calls you to be because you, I am talking to you, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Act as if it were true because it is. So Jesus, ask that you would help us to be the people you name us, you call us, and not what the world has called us, not what we've called ourselves. Lord, we can't do it without you, but in you we can. So we commit this to you and ask your power in our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.